Podcast of the cinema. The first one of 2023. Welcome. January 2023. Starring me, Dave White, you, Alonzo Duralde. Correct. We're both film critics for The yes. Wrap. Yes. Um, and this is our show. Yes, it is. Are you the? Is this the first time you're listening to our show? Welcome. W- welcome. We're back from Atlanta. Yes. We, our, our, our last recording was the third week of December. Yes. It is now the second week of January. We were out of town for two weeks to go to see the Duralde family for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Then we came home to a mountain of things <laughs> that had to be done. Yes. And now we've sufficiently caught up enough to sit down and record this show. Yes. If you're a Patreon person, you uh, will be thrilled <laughs> to know that this week... All the other shows are, are back, too. Yes. Like, we recorded a, a, a night's last Sunday morning. Yes. And then we were like, and now we're ready to go. And then we are like, and we are actually not, not ready, ready to ready go. To go. <laughs> so, but now we're ready to go. Hoo-ah. Um, also, if you are not a Patreon person, you should know something. It's very exciting, uh, this thing that you should know. For at least the next week or two, all... Linoleum knife based podcasts are free for you to listen to on Patreon. So, like, let's say you get this in your feed and you're subscribed to it. This is the one you'll get. You go to patreon.com slash linoleum knife. Everything that Patreon people normally get is going to be there for you to enjoy yes. for free. Like, some of you have never heard the other shows, some of you have never seen. Uh, the daily, mostly daily, LKRX, which oh, is you making those public. Too? A, yep, which okay. is a you know a daily prescription of culture, or food, <laughs> or both something, um, and uh, you know there's linoleum knife presents more linoleum knife where we're gonna uh, the next one coming up is we're gonna talk about the Warren Beatty directed film Reds from 1981. Yes. Uh, we watched all three hours and 45 minutes of that. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, a new episode of LKTV coming up, a new episode of Linoleum Knife and Fork, which is uh, a podcast hosted by two, uh, a, food a, food, a food podcast hosted by two film critics. And then Linoleum Nights, where we talk about any dang thing we want. There's, last but we say swearier words than dang. It's true. That's just, I mean, look, this podcast is clean. Always, yeah, um, mostly, and but we have very, very, very uh, 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 profane uh, voc- vocabularies um, in our in our uh, non-LK uh, moments. Well, our other podcasts are also clean. Also Nights clean. Is the only Nights one is the one where you get us a, a sousant saying of potty mouthery. All the listen, all the cussing happens. On- <laughs> 
Linoleum Nights. I'll tell you something, a funny thing to me about Linoleum Nights. We say this to people, and then almost never do you make a cuss happen on that show. I'm just so used to that's not. me. I'm the one that's letting it fly all the time, all day long. Like a stevedore. It's like we live in an episode of Yellowstone. <laughs> that Yellowstone, I, I had never watched, and it's like we're going to talk about it on LKTV. They're so excited to say the F word that they have to say it all the time. <laughs> it's like every sentence. Anyway, we watched many episodes of Yellowstone while we were in Atlanta because well, that's what the, the the family likes to watch. Watching might be putting too fine a point. I was on, on were, the couch. I was watching not, it. I was listening when from, it was on. I was listening from the next room. Often I had a book with me. Often I had my phone with me. Often I had my <laughs> laptop with me, and I was doing several things at once. Right, but, but one of them nominally I was watching, Yellowstone. watching Yellowstone. Anyway, for for all of those episodes and other stuff, uh, visit us at Patreon.com/slash Linoleum Knife. And again, you're going to hear them all for free for probably till the end of January. Oh, well, it's really? the four, Well, it's the 14th already. Well, I guess Let's give them a couple. All right. We didn't do a super splash at the end of summer. We didn't do a a, a, a winter wonderland. A winter, <laughs> a winter woo woo. <laughs> we didn't do that, and that's normally when we just throw free episodes at yes. folks. And so, why not just give them the rest of January? Okay, fine. I've just decided. All right, that that's the way it's, this is going to be. Well, yeah, give them a listen, and if you like what you hear, sign up. Uh, if you go there right now, you can listen to last week's. Little Nights, Nights uh, where we talk all about uh, traveling through airports in a wheelchair. Yes. That was me. Alonzo did not travel um, no. through, with a wheelchair. I walked behind the wheelchair at a fast clip. You were, yeah. It was it was a zoomy speed. Uh, I, hey, new people, I have hip arthritis in both hips. Walking is... It's okay. Like, I have a cane, and I get places sometimes on a good day, and I can do things. You know how big airports are? Very, very big. Like, you don't think about how big they are and how much walking you're doing until you can't really do that very well. And you you you, you book wheelchair service. Anyway, you'll get that full story. Beforehand. On Linoleum. And they put you in a wheelchair, and they zoom you through the airport, and you feel... I, well, I, I can't put words in anyone else's mouth. I felt like a little dog in Paris Hilton's purse. Only less protected and less rich. <laughs> That's That was how I felt. Yeah, because no one at the airport had anything to think about besides, who's that guy in the chair? Who's that? Uh, hey, listen, they looked at me and they said, oh, fatty can't walk on his own, can he? <laughs> That's what they thought. That's what they, they thought. Were, they were thinking 10 million other things. They thought. They were in an airport. They thought. At the holidays. Who's who's the, who's the lazy chunk? Trying not to lose their minds. That's what they thought. Over the fact that they were in an airport at the holidays. <laughs> um, it was so helpful. I was so grateful. We tipped we tipped those those folks who pushed me so well. <laughs> um. All right, so while we were gone, I did some watching. Mm-hmm. All right. And so did you. Yes. We both watched Glass Onion. Yes. In fact, I think Glass Onion was was Netflixed no fewer than three times in 
not, 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 I didn't watch it three times, but the various family members, yeah. and there were, I should explain, three dozen Duralde family members yes. milling around in three different homes at any given moment. Four. So, okay. And so it was, people would show up and they'd be like, what do you want to do? Let's watch Glass Onion. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, why not? Well, and, I, and so I, that had, I had seen Glass Onion at the L.A. premiere. Yeah. And then I watched it again with you and our sister-in-law to prepare for a live spoiler chat that Christy and I did via YouTube on uh, for breakfast all day. Right. And then I watched a good chunk of it again when, like, all the nieces and nephews came over to watch it. So, yeah, I feel very versed in Glass Onion at this point. <laughs> um. So, yeah, we watched that, and I finally got caught up on The Fablemans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, separately, you recently watched uh, Pale Blue Eye. Oh, yeah, unplug the water cooler so it doesn't make that weird noise. Yeah, I just did. People get, people get cranky about that. Um, I watched Pale Blue Eye. Isn't it Eye weird on- how we can record in the summertime with the windows open uh-huh. at this dining room table... And there will be uh, uh, garbage trucks and helicopters and street noise and dogs barking. And everybody goes, oh, no, I can't hear that at all in the background. But that water cooler emits some yeah. kind of high-frequency It's the Todd Haynes Poison soundtrack. Or safe soundtrack. It emits some kind of frequency that no fewer than half a dozen people have said, what's that noise? What's that what's high pitch? What's that sound? Uh, anyway. Uh, you watched Pale Blue Eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not. Um, I watched a 2022 film that I finally was able to catch up with uh, called The Cathedral. And I uh, definitely, we're going to be talking about that in this episode. Um, I watched something on lecinemaclub.com. We'll be talking about that too. Um, and then we came home and we watched Matilda. And there were there were there were reactions <laughs> to Matilda, not the boxing kangaroo movie. No, no, no the no. new, which m- did somehow make its way to the music. Criterion Channel, which I'll never understand. Um, so, uh, but let's start with um, Glass Onion. Yes, we have seven. Wait, no, 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 and then we went to see Megan. Yes. So, how many is this? Eight. You We've got me. eight movies. Oh, man. One, two, three. No, seven. I can't count. Seven okay. movies. Let's crack through them. Let's go fast. Let's be efficient. <sighs> okay. Let's be, let's be like, you know, Siskel and Ebert always kept it to a tight five on a movie. Um, we sure. will never be them. No. But uh, all right. Well, let's, let's assume. They, they had an editor. <laughs> let's assume that maybe everybody still hasn't seen Glass Onion, so let's not. I think everyone has, right? Well, I, I mean, mostly, but I, I mean, are we spoiling I mean, it? Or no, not? let's not spoil it. It's a, it's a murder mystery. That would be okay. uh, uh, that was my mean of us to do that. Get, yes. your sip, did you get your sip of water? I did. I thought All right. you would fill in the Oh, I thought, I thought you were going to fill the Go on. Tell, tell them what it's about. <laughs> so this is... It uh, is a Knives Out It mystery. is a Knives Out mystery. Right. Benoit Blanc is back. Uh, and he is not happy with the lockdown because he cannot run about and solve mysteries as the world's greatest detective that he is. He alone. 
is unhappy with the yes. lockdown. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he even when playing, and I forget the name of this video game now, but according to Christy, it was very popular early in the lockdown. But I did not know what it was. Is it the one with the the little? You're like a farm and the no, but the not Animal, Animal Crossing. No, and that and it wasn't that. That was hot also popular. But this was the, a, this yeah. was a different one. He's playing that in the bathtub with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, Natasha Leone and making their last screen appearances, Dame Angela Lansbury and Lord Steven Spielberg. Or Steve, Spielberg? Steven Sondheim, sorry. We're doing <laughs> Fablements today. Um, and the appearance of Steven Sondheim is not the film's last nod to The Last of Sheila. Um, right, right. Because uh, a, a billionaire played by uh, Edward Norton decides to invite his closest pals uh, to his island in uh, off the coast of Greece. Um, those pals include a, a scientist who works for him, um, played by Leslie Odom Jr., a politician, played by Catherine Hahn, uh, a, a, a fashionista, model, influencer, idiot, played by Kate Hudson, a uh, red pill men's rights uh, uh, internet guy, played by Dave Bautista, and uh, his former business partner who surprises everyone by showing up played by Janelle Monet, and also he cheated her out of a, a lot of yes, money their business yeah. uh, and uh, Benoit Blanc is there as well because it's a murder mystery party uh, and uh, things go off from there and yeah I what I, can we what can we say we can say that Benoit Blanc was accidentally invited I wasn't even going to say that, but I guess you just did. All right. Uh, I think I think that I think we can say that, sure. and I think that the, what you think is going to happen is quickly dispensed with. Well, yeah. Uh, like *Knives Out*, we are presented with an entire scenario and narrative, and then we go back to find out that what we thought we knew and what we thought we saw and what we thought was happening was not happening at all. Um, I like this more than *Knives Out*, frankly. <clears throat> Um, I liked Knives Out, but I never was like gaga over Knives Out. But this one, I think, is more successful in what it's trying to do in terms of calling forth the sort of all-star Agatha Christie movies of the past. Right. Uh, but again, with uh, some Last of Sheila there with the mis- with the murder game and the, the, the island and the yacht and everything. And then also it ties in with uh, a popular theme of this past year. Which is, aren't the wealthy terrible? <laughs> so this is right up there with Triangle of Sadness and The Menu and yeah. The White Lotus. Um, you know, the more that we learn about Edward Norton's, you know, billionaire, the more we realize, oh, you're, you're that. <laughs> well, the minute, the minute they arrive on the island mm-hmm. and he takes his guitar that was owned by one of the Beatles, I can't remember now which one. And just sort of throws it on the ground <laughs> and starts using uh, uh, malapropisms every few sentences. You think, oh, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're, a, you're bad. <laughs> you're, you're bad. You're dumb and you're bad. Yeah. You're an opportunist and dumb and bad. Well, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> there was a, a, a tweet that I loved. I believe it was from from my friend who does the Tinseltown podcast. Was saying that, you know, clearly this character was modeled upon, 
you know, several people like, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon, um, Elon Musk. Well, I'm getting to that. Yeah. And, and, you know, Elizabeth Holmes. OK. You know, goes, but everybody thinks it's Elon Musk because Elon Musk is himself such a sort of blank caricature. Right. <laughs> that yeah. he, that it, it's easy to match him with this character. Yeah. That, that's my first thought. Yeah. When I see this guy. Um, yes, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, here's the thing with me and murder mysteries. I don't, unless it's only murders in the building, which seems to invite your own speculation, speculation and sleuthing. This film and Knives Out before it are so densely packed with so many people and things and diversions and digressions and red herrings that you give up. I, yeah. After a bit, because never, you think, well, I'm being misdirected by this film over and over again. Sure. And things that Benoit Blanc is noticing are things that the camera will never give you until he tells you that he noticed it later. But, but then when you watch it again, you do see that it's there. You just didn't know to look for it. Right. So I... So it's uh, not cheating. It's just... No, you know, I'm not saying it's cheating at all. I'm saying I give up because... The, the 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 convoluted nature of what's happening and the uh, the densely packed cast of it all uh, has my attention moving in a million directions and and none of those directions are in the direction of solving the mystery yeah as a rule I never try to solve the mystery yeah. I just figure like there's just there's no point to it I'm no good at that mm-hmm. but I'm just going to take it all in however a movie like this does reward second viewings yeah because you go back and you know what the turning points are and you know where the sleight of hand or whatever yeah. takes place and then you can appreciate the details and go ah yes it was in front of me all along which is also a callback to Last of Sheila in a way in terms of like dangling this thing right in front of your face and then just, you know, you not understanding what it is when you see it. For people who don't know, please talk about The Last of Sheila for a Oh, moment. sure. Yeah, it's directed by Herbert Ross, but it is sort of legendary as the a screenplay uh, written by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. And why is Stephen Sondheim significant in this context, Alonzo? What? Because he was a lifelong puzzles oh, and games well, yeah, person. Yeah, I was getting to that. Okay, that's yeah. that's. He and Anthony Perkins yeah. used to throw these very elaborate murder mystery scavenger hunt whatever kind right. of parties and stuff, and so they were very good at it. And apparently, somebody was like, "Hey, why don't you guys turn one of these into a movie?" And so they had to craft this sort of fictional. Uh, murder mystery party which takes place on a yacht uh, in the Riviera a powerful film producer played by James Coburn invites a group of people who all uh, want to curry his favor in one way or another so there's a screenwriter played by Richard Benjamin and an actress played by Raquel Welch an agent played by the great Diane Cannon uh, James Mason is a director um, and so, you know, they, they, they all sort of have no choice but to go, but they all have their own mini agendas going on at the same time. And the same thing happens in Glass Onion, where right. all of these people sort of owe their position in the world to the Edward Norton character. And he then sort of plans to uh, use that power to kind of force them into things that they don't want to do that he uh, insists that they do anyway. I love Kate Hudson. 
She is <laughs> del- uh, She's great at this. <laughs> I love Kate Hudson. I, I so often <laughs> dismiss her, but then she'll pop up in, in something like this or nine, and I'll be like, oh yeah, Kate Hudson, you can do things. Do you dismiss her because... Of that one line on Gilmore Girls? Hang on. <laughs> do you dismiss her because... After being an almost famous uh-huh. and charming everyone... Yes. And making everyone think, oh, what a fresh new talent this child of Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell is. Kurt Russell's not her father. You're uh, right. One of the Hudson one brothers. Of the, one of the Hudson brothers. That's <laughs> right. One of the Hudson brothers is her father. However, she doesn't know that guy. No, she was raised by Kurt. Kurt Russell raised her. Sure. Okay. So anyway, um, is it because they put her in so many terrible movies like that Gary Marshall movie Raising where, she, Helen? where she had the Uggs. Yeah, yeah. Raising Helen, I believe. <laughs> what a rock. And and had a, was it was she had to lose a guy in ten days? I don't know. Anyway, was it because they put her, they squashed her yeah. into this weird little mold, or is it because of one line on Gilmore Girls? <laughs> Arguably a combination of both, okay. but I think the line on Gilmore Girls, where where uh, she's referred to as "quote unquote" that insipid Kate Hudson, uh, would not have landed with the same power that it did had she not made all of those terrible movies after um, after Almost Famous. So yeah, you're right. I think probably it is she. For all I know, she's Colin Farrell. You know, she's somebody who got like miscast. I'm, I'm and, seeing this movie and put into the wrong things. But I'm if, seeing what she does in this movie, and she has such wonderful presence and comic energy, and knows how to play a dummy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that requires something more than being a dummy, as oh, we course. all know. It's like you have to be a bad singer to a good singer to successfully right. portray a bad so singer. So I, 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 uh, uh, yeah. No, I, I'm. I'm cheering for her in this film. Yeah, because yeah. again, I mean, like, I don't know if you remember Nine at all. The only thing I remember liking I do in that remember movie Nine, yeah. was Kate Hudson. Yeah, she had that that a few great moments. In yeah, the, she has like one big number that's like Kate Hudson. Yeah. So you know what? Don't discount Kate Hudson. Yes. You, Paladinos, she, she, you. She's turning this boat around. <laughs> Uh, uh, also, also digging Dave Batista. Yes, uh, here um, and and Janelle Monet. Uh, who Jan- is, oh, well, always Janelle. Uh, well, yeah, no, I mean, who I've, I've always she's never in question. Exactly, but I think, but the, she, this is uh, of all the people who get to who whose role becomes more complicated than it seems when you first meet them in the movie. I think she goes the furthest. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I learned a thing about all of the art in the film. Oh, yeah. I know you were wondering about this. All of it is reproduction. Okay. And just different enough from the pieces that they are reproducing. To not count as a forgery. To not count as forgery or copyright infringement or anything like that. Uh Uh, I was asked. So did they get permission from? I assume. Okay. I assume they did. Gotcha. I was asked uh, by Jason Shawhan uh, for uh, the, his end of the year poll, which uh, set do you want to visit or live in? I said, I want to visit the Glass Onion set. 
<laughs> and stay there just long enough to steal the Cy Twombly painting <laughs> that's hanging on the wall in the back. That is my dream. Art art heist is my after bank heist. Art heist is my actual uh, secret longing. Maybe both. Like if I could come back as a professional heist person and always get away with it, I would love to heist banks and uh, rich people's art collections. So you want to have like a secret room where you would hoard these art pieces? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the friends could come over and look at them and say, check out my latest heist. Gotcha. And they'd be like, you're so good at heisting. <laughs> That's exactly how they would say it. That's my next, if there's reincarnation... <laughs> You want to be a heister. I want Jesus to bring me back <laughs> as a as an expert, never caught, never doing time, heist person. So you, Thomas Crown, is you want to be? Does Thomas Crown ever get caught? I think does he? I know he had an affair. I can't. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I I can't remember if he gets caught or not. It's been a while since I've seen it. Well, I will never get caught. Okay. I will only. I will. I will rob from the rich and the evil. Mm-hmm. And I will uh, give to the poor and keep enough money to enjoy uh, my life and, and and all the art. I'll enjoy all the art. Well, that was one of the things yeah. that I liked about that movie. Because they, you know what those people do? They just buy it and they store it in a in a, in a warehouse somewhere and then they flip it. Exactly. Yeah. That was one of the things that I liked about that movie Locked Down, which has unfortunately been ceremoniously removed, unceremoniously removed from, from HBO Max. But the whole thing is about them stealing a diamond. And the reason that they can get away with it, because even though they're not professionals, is because it's just going to go sit in a safe somewhere. Right. It's not like, oh, it's going to be displayed and, you know, blah, blah, blah. No. It's just. Some, it's not like a Pink Panther movie no, where everyone's, some, some, everyone's excited about looking at this thing. Some <laughs> jerk bought it and it's just going to go in a safe somewhere. So, like, well, if it's just going to live in a box, he can have the replica and who's yeah. going to know, you know? Professional heister. Okay. That's me. In the, in the future. I'm glad you've got your order in for I do. all that reincarnating. That's going to happen. <laughs> uh, also, we watched, uh, I finally watched The Fablemans. Yes. And it is the latest from Steven Spielberg, written by Tony Kushner. Yeah. Uh, or did he co wrote it? He co wrote it with Tony Kushner. Um, stars uh, Michelle Williams and Paul Dano and Gabriel LaBelle. Yes. As. Uh, baby Steven Spielberg. Uh, it, it also co-stars Seth Rogen, which led to a very funny tweet yesterday from Sarah Polly. Oh. She says, I'm at the AFI Awards politely asking the Fablemans to please return my cast from Take This Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Seth Rogen and uh, Michelle uh, Williams were in Sarah Polly's film, yeah. Take This Waltz, with Sarah Silverman. Yeah. Yes. Uh, not a bad movie. No. We're and, checking out. And... If you've never seen Seth Rogen, uh, be dramatic. An entirely an entirely dramatic role. Well, I think people have seen Steve Jobs. In Maybe this they. But have. when when Take This Waltz came out, I think the thing was the first one. It I mean, may have it. been one of the first ones at yeah. least. So anyway. And speaking of Sarah Polly, we will be getting to women talking later this month. We will when I finally get around to when watching it. Opens, it. it it's going to open wide in a couple yeah. weeks. Uh, so this is the story of this is Steven Spielberg's life story. Basically, right? Yeah. Growing up with his uh, family and... His parents' uh, marriage falling apart. His his mother, you know, falling for another man. His love of cinema. His, yeah, 
uh, his sisters in the family as well, uh, his interactions with them. But mostly, it's the story of a young man, a teenage boy, learning to see the world through the eyes of an artist. Um, and this love of film is, is uh, prompted by his mother early on in the most annoying sequence in the film. Thank God it happens early so that you can forget it. <laughs> This is a pretty good movie, but if you do, if you don't make it past the first ten minutes, it is understandable. So they take him to a movie. He's a little kid. They're taking him to his first movie, and Michelle Williams, Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth, crouches down to the kid and goes, "Let's <laughs> impersonate her here." <laughs> Movies are dreams. <laughs> I'm like, huh. I, no, it's You're what, frightening it, me, movies Mom. Are, movies are dreams you never forget. I, I hate to tell I'm you. I'm a nightmare I, you never wake up from. <laughs> I hate to tell you, Michelle Williams, I've forgotten a lot of movies <laughs> in my day. I love Michelle Williams so much. I don't think I've ever seen her in a film that, even a bad movie, where I thought, yeah, Michelle Williams really whiffed it on this one. Those first 10 minutes, you start thinking, what's going on? Why is she acting like this? She she modulates it yeah. <laughs> quite a bit after that. And you begin to understand her character and you begin to understand the conflicts that she's dealing with and how she has some pretty big decisions to make regarding her role in the family. And is she even going to stick around? Um, so after that first 10 minutes, you're safe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that first 10 minutes has had me thinking, oh no, this film's two and a half hours. I, I can't, I can't. If the, if, if, if there's going to be the endless repetition, like what was that Martin Scorsese movie? Hugo. Oh, <laughs> If this is going to be Hugo again, where people are constantly talking about how the magic of the, the magic of movies and what they're like all dreams and things, mm-hmm. I like, no, like I, 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 I've had my fill. She does put kind of a fine point on it later, though, when she talks about how, like, she's the artist and her husband is the scientist, right? You know, yeah. and and we're meant to understand that, like Spielberg has, you know. Much like Sandra Bernhardt saying, you know, my mother was an abstract artist, my father was a proctologist, that's how I view the world. You know, that he's going to be an artist, but also a craftsman, you know. Right, right. There are sequences in The Fablemans that I think are among the best moments in film of the last year. But I didn't love The Fablemans all the way through. I don't, it doesn't all work for me, and I don't know if part of it is just that I love a director nostalgia movie when they really sort of capture their own childhood. All right. But I think I love it more when they don't make it about how they were destined to become a filmmaker. You know, you think about a movie like Hope and Glory or Amarcord or Crooklyn or Apollo 10 and a half, you know. And like, yes, the, the a love of film, a love of art and other things can be kind of woven into the fabric of childhood. But this is so much about look at me learning how to direct movies, y'all, that I just, I found it a tad off-putting. 
that did not put me off. Okay. No, I, a lot of people love this movie. I enjoyed watching this kid discover the world. Okay. Um, and I enjoyed watching him discover uh, the frailty and and uh, uh, of his parents. Sure. I think Paul Dano is really wonderful. He is uh, in this film. He's he's the most restrained person uh, in the film, and he's giving a very solid dad performance mm. that uh, is a difficult thing to pull off sometimes yeah. because you can easily fall into Ward Cleaver caricature, and he doesn't no. here. Uh, he has one moment in particular that I'm thinking of that I won't talk about. More than that, that is, uh, it's that everyone stop and look at me for just a second. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Uh, I, I like would, that. I, I have to say, I would love to hear from, we had listeners yeah. who wrote in about the movie Shiva Baby. Yes. And were sort of put off by the fact that the lead character was not played by a Jewish actress, even though the filmmaker is Jewish okay. and it's very much a Jewish story. Yeah. I would love to hear from those folks what they think about Spielberg casting two non-Jewish actors to play his parents in a film in which their Judaism does come up. The fact that he is ostracized at high school for being for like being the Jewish. one Jewish kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm just wondering. The kid who plays uh, Gabriel Sa- Sammy. Yes. He, he is Jewish. Yes. So that's, I mean, maybe, I, maybe just, he felt like that was enough. I don't know. I'm just curious. I, I'm not here to question Steven Spielberg. No, I, I would never. <laughs> I just want to know how the people who reacted to Shiva Baby, if they reacted the same way to Baby. Right. Uh, there is one sequence in this film that I think is extraordinary. Uh, and it involves, without going into too much detail, it involves him making a short film about his class at school and they all go to the beach and it's a volleyball day and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing and he he crafts a narrative out of what would normally be home movies right and in doing so he makes an un- he makes one of the most popular guys in class into the star yeah. of the movie and it makes that guy extremely uncomfortable. And I and I loved watching these characters, particularly the character of Sammy, the kid, mm-hmm. figure out, I can do anything I want with your image. I can edit you in a way that makes you look like... A golden god. That, well, that's the line in the film. Yeah. He says it like that. The, the guy who gets treated that way. Mm-hmm. And, the, and that guy's angry. <laughs> I, I didn't and buy, I loved that moment. I, I liked the editing of that sequence and how that's put together and what it tells us about the character. I didn't buy... I, I, I buy the guy getting mad about it, but the way he talks about it seemed like for a high school student... Well, he's, he's a little too self-aware. Real articulate, <laughs> you know? Uh, I really like... Sure. The, okay, fine. I, I, but no, but you're... Like I said, there are these individual sequences that I think that really work. Like the whole part where he's making the Western yeah. and it's not working and then he realizes how to make it work. Yeah. Like that to me is... If I were still teaching that class at Chapman about, you know, taking... Uh, challenges and turning them into opportunities, you know, in the production process, yeah. I would show them that sequence. 
you know, I, I, that really uh, is is illustrative of oh. a lot of things about how filmmaking works in a way that I think is really effective. Another thing I loved, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Gabriel LaBelle is short. Yes. He is shorter than the other guys who play high school students ah. in the film. And so the camera is always sort of pointing up at those guys. Mm-hmm. They kind of tower over him. Yeah. And obviously this is an intentional yes. thing of feeling like the world is is coming at me. Um, and now I don't know how short Gabriel Bell is, but the other guys are he may be he may be he may be average height, or for that matter, how short Steven Spielberg was. But yeah, but the other guys are big and they loom over him. Yeah. And as I noticed that happening in the film, I thought, I, I see what's going on here. <laughs> I I uh, I dug that. I, I dug that that physical perspective mm. of the camera. Um, I you know it's kind of long. It's a long movie. It's two and a half hours. Uh, but I it's so good-hearted and so generous about the people that it's about. Um, I like it. Yeah, I think it's absolutely worth seeing. I yeah. mean, it, it, does, it didn't all work for me, but the stuff that's in there that did, it, you know, it needs to be... Well, take that, seen. Joyce Carol Oates. <sighs> Brother. <laughs> you see that? Yes. It's so very funny. I have not read her complaint. I, I'm going to, but I just think it's I think it's funny. She's like, you know what? I demand to be heard about the fable. The stuff she tweets sometimes, you're like, mm. <laughs> uh, Okay, you watched The Pale Blue Eye. Yeah. Is it is it The Pale Blue Eye? or The, just, pale, the pale Blue Eye. It is The Pale Blue Eye. Uh, I have not. Talk about it, please. Uh, okay, it is a murder mystery set in the late 19th century. Uh, there has been... Uh, a, a death at West Point of a cadet. Was it a suicide? Was it a murder? We don't know. We do know the body was desecrated. And so it absolutely needs to be investigated. So who should they call in? But Christian Bale is this sort of boozy, brilliant detective uh, who finds assistance from uh, a sharp-eyed, gloomy cadet named Edgar Allan Poe. And... Um, it's this is a Scott Cooper movie, and he's the he's the Crazy Heart is like his big movie, but okay. he did God, I can never remember that Rust Belt movie with Christian Bale, and also Hostels with Christian Bale, right? And I he's not my it's not my tempo. This guy his, <laughs> his movies are very cold and bleak and like dully masculine i think um i see and so this is a i've movie. seen the i've seen some of the other ones and yeah. i you know you ain't wrong yeah All so right. this movie is sort of like that kind of thing until it takes a sharp 90 degree turn into weirdsville okay but by that point you're like i, I got do the- they go to weirdsville in a weirdsmobile Sadly, no. <laughs> uh, I, they go to Weirdsville in a way that gave me the church giggles. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, oh, come right. on, movie. You know, uh, I, I'd almost say it's worth seeing for Julian uh, Anderson's bonnets because they're insane. Well, you just sold me. <laughs> and uh, the fact that there's a barmaid played by Charlotte Gainsbourg. Um, well, you just sold me twice. Yeah, but it's. I guess I want to see it. But it's still kind of a drag. 
Uh, you know, but it, but if you like Scott Cooper's stuff, you know, it's very much I don't in that hate his films. Thing. Harry Melling plays Edgar Allan Poe, and he's quite wonderful, as he was in Please Baby, Please. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It didn't really <laughs> you know, I don't know. No, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm far more enthusiastic about a film that I watched okay. that you did not watch. Uh, in some... There was a lot of downtime in Atlanta. There was a lot of time to just chill and do whatever. Yes. And I learned that this was finally streaming. It is a a small independent film from uh, a filmmaker named Ricky Dambrose Mm -hmm. uh, called The Cathedral. It opened eh, mid-year, I guess, but it, you know, tiny micro-release. Gotcha. And... And it finally, it's finally streaming, uh, so you can watch it on uh, Mubi, M-U-B-I, okay. via uh, Amazon. So he made a movie in like 2018 called Notes on an Appearance that got great reviews from people that whose opinions I respect. Okay, I have not yet seen that earlier film, but this is his latest, and it does have something in common with The Fablemans in that it is about a young boy uh, whose life pushes him into a place where he sees the world, again, through the eyes of an artist, and he is slowly becoming one. Would we put Armageddon time in this category as well? I would would couple this film with Armageddon time much more than I would The Fablemans. Okay. Uh, than I would put it with The Fablemans because tonally, yeah, <laughs> this one has far more in common with Armageddon Time. Uh, although, I will say, Armageddon Time at least had a family that you felt like maybe you wanted to be a part of sometimes. <laughs> ah. You do not feel this way about the family. <laughs> not in, so the cathedral. In the cathedral. Um, so... The movie begins with something that seemingly is seemingly unrelated to the, the action. Uh, it is told in voiceover narration by an omniscient third person mm-hmm. that you never see. It's a woman. And it is the death of this young boy's uncle. And the uncle, it's 1985, and the uncle has died of AIDS. Oh. And it becomes a source of conflict. You never see the conflict. You're only hearing about it from the voiceover. Mm -hmm. The family decides to lie about the death to everyone. Mm. To explain it in an entirely different way. Then this uncle was gay. This uncle had AIDS. That's your first hint that it's immediate. It's something is wrong. In this family. This is a family that is very willing to deny and make up stories that suit them rather than the truth. Two years later, the main character of this film is born. Uh, A boy named Jesse. The family's last name is uh, Damroche. So Jesse Damroche is is an analog for Ricky Dambrose. Gotcha. Okay. and it's the story of his life, even though, uh, from birth till about 20, even though you almost never hear him speak in the film, 
Hmm. He doesn't talk much. He is occasionally given something to say, but quite often what he is doing is observing the family around him. The story is told consistently through this voiceover narration, through vignettes of mostly of family gatherings, funerals, graduations, you know, communions, things like that. And interspersed with these vignettes of family gatherings are uh, clips of archival footage. Um, some of it is news of the, of the time, placing everyone's life in, you know, a historical context. Um, and obviously, thematically, giving you a sense that these people are part of history and history uh, acts on them as well. You also see uh, vintage sort of archival advertising, hmm. sort of placing them in a socioeconomic context because money has a lot to do with what's going on in this family. Um, but what's really going on in this family is a pervasive sense of distrust, bitterness, recrimination, secrets that no one is willing to ever talk about. There's a, a, an, an aunt in the film, or aunt, depending on how you pronounce it, who is, she has been uh, cut off from the family, excommunicated, and no one will ever explain why. Hmm. And you, the film ends and you never learn <laughs> why. Um, there is a grandmother who is shuttled back and forth between kids and nobody wants to deal with her. There's nothing wrong with her. They're just all terrible and selfish and bitter and hostile to each other for all those reasons that families can accumulate those kinds of ideas with themselves within the, within the circle of the family. And to outsiders, it just looks like a bunch of jerks. And when the child in this film is watching them all behave this way, he is observing stuff around them as often as he is observing them. So a broken glass on the floor, the camera will fix on that broken glass for a while as you hear the voices of people around having an argument. His attention to detail that is seemingly in many, in, in many other types of films would be a cause for the audience to say, why, why did I just look at that for that long? Right. You know, here they accumulate meaning as this young boy grows up to be a teenager, grows up to be a young adult, and he is developing his sense of how he sees the world what kind of artist he wants to be. He's given a camera, mm -hmm. uh, a video camera when he's young, and he starts just pointing it at things. Not making elaborate films like Spielberg, making more like impressionistic sort of... Like after-sun films. You get like after-sun films <laughs> like this movie is. So the kind of character that this kid is growing up to be is the kind of filmmaker that Ricky D'Ambros has grown up to be. Gotcha. Um, so what you have here is a film about the sad disintegration of a family um, and 
how that acts upon the kid who is powerless in their in their circle of you know dislike for each other and, and, and at one point it even escalates into violence at a family gathering so yes does he let himself off the hook is it all about my family was terrible but thank god i got out <laughs> oh there's no sense at all that the character of jesse feels responsible for any of it. Gotcha. He is, a from really a observer. very young age, he's an observer. Gotcha. It is a great film about how a young person grows up to be a critical observer. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Um, it is a beautiful and very still film. Camera's not jumping around a lot. It is pointed at stuff and things are happening. And that's it. Uh, And I love it. It is one of the best things I saw in 2022. Cool. And I caught up to it late, but the way I caught up to it is the way that everybody gets to watch it now. You don't have to uh, hope that it comes to your tiny little art house (laughs) for a week. It's, it's streaming on movie. Okay. Uh, it's called The Cathedral, so I, I highly recommend it. All right. Yes. Megan. 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 <laughs> Mithrigan. <laughs> uh, why don't you talk about Megan? <laughs> Please explain Megan to everyone. Uh, sure. So, yeah, this was a shocker because it's a January movie that is good. Um, <laughs> we don't usually get those. Uh, it's written by Akila Cooper, who um, also collaborated in the story with James Wan. She also wrote uh, *Malignant*, which we loved, um, and uh, she was a producer on *Luke Cage*. So she is emerging as like somebody who you want to see the next thing she does. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is your basic. Uh, is it your basic anything? It's not your basic anything. But I mean, there are elements of like child's play and even electric dreams in this. But basically, uh, you have a young girl played by Violet McGraw. Her parents die in a car accident. She is remanded. In the first scene. In the, yeah, this All is right. not a spoiler. This, right. this is the inciting incident. Yeah. She is remanded to the custody of her aunt, uh, Allison Williams, who is a robotics engineer who works at a toy company that makes... Uh, sort of like, you know, Furbies that you can talk to and respond to. (laughs) Yes. And she is working on Megan, which is the Model 3 stands for something. Right. Anyway, uh, she winds up creating this android to take care of the kid because she just is not ready to take care of the kid. And uh, She has a career. Yeah. uh, You know, she's got deadlines. And so... Uh, she does such a good job of it that the kid and Megan bond immediately. But since Megan's prime directive is to take care of the kid, uh, that means that anybody who starts getting being a problem, if it's the neighbor's dog or the neighbor or a bratty kid at day camp, um, threatens the child, then <laughs> Megan goes to work. Yeah. Uh, and eventually... It's Alice- like Mary Poppins... But a murder robot. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, so Allison Williams has to sort of reassert her place uh, as an actual family member and not as the bystander who lets Megan raise the child. Um, and you know, it kind of gets into all of this stuff about how we grow and how we learn and how we bond. But it's also this like fun horror comedy about technology run amok, um, and it. It helps that Megan is such a creepy creation. <laughs> There's one actress playing Megan and another actress doing the voice. Yeah. And Megan's face sort of exists in this uncanny valley between human and and android. Well, when people see her for the first time, they'll go, ah! Yeah. <laughs> so. Because at, at certain angles, you think, okay, who is this person? Oh! <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's really smart and off-putting in the best way and for a pg-13 horror movie it's very effective at using tension and the occasional jump scare and not a ton of gore to still be creepy and and get its point across it's a very clever movie yes um and i think it's kind of about something but i don't know that it has anything obviously it is a big you know analogy about tech taking over screens our lives um and but i don't know that that's i don't know that it has anything deep to say about that that wasn't already said in the 1970s in films like westworld or whatever sure um but what it does with that subject is give you a real good time yeah because the character of megan is such a delightful villain. Um, and, you know, the queers love a villainess. Mm. Her outfits are, you know, Pearl. point. <laughs> Pearl, the barbarian mom, mm. Lydia Tarr. We, <laughs> we, we like them. But I think you can make and a so, point, though, that Megan, like the Frankenstein monster, like always means well. And does is, she? I, well, I, <laughs> I don't know that she does. Well, I, I think I think she's working with what she's got, and she is following the. If anything, it's a it's a garbage in, garbage out situation. The oh flaw, yeah. The flaws that exist in Megan yeah. are because Allison Williams didn't think about the ramifications of Megan. Right. And so then when Reagan's when Megan runs amok, it's like, well, you. I learned it from you, Mom. You know? Right. That's what I said. I was like, "There's, there's. We've seen this story sure, before, of so it's not. Uh, if we're saying it's got something, you know, uh, new and you know, insightful to say about this subject, I don't think it does. Uh, but as it, tech changes, these stories change. Yes, the finer, the finer details change. That's true. Um, there's also a, a, an element of you know satire about bad parenting mm. uh, going on here, and I, I, I think I appreciate that more okay. than the whole oh tech mm, AI is bad like that's I think I like that angle of it more than I like the the stated purpose. Do you think the movie is is painting AI as bad, or do you think it's painting? Programmers as irresponsible. Yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> so there's that. Um, it uh, uh, yeah. So that the the point of the film I think is somewhat overbearing, um, kind of just heavy, mm-hmm. in a way that it didn't need to be. 
Uh, it could have just been a cool monster movie about this child murder robot. And that would have been enough because it is a delightfully fun viewing experience uh, with some... Let's go back to the queer reception of this character. <laughs> I don't know who the music supervisor was on this movie, but they are LGB or T. Yeah, or plus. <laughs> and, and that's all I'll say about that. I, uh, I had a wonderful time. Good. And I'm ready for... Uh, Meforgan. I'm ready for... Uh, Megan, two Megan, two, uh, two Megan, two Furious. two Megan, two Murder. I, I don't know uh, what will be the next film. This is a big hit already, so yeah. you know there's a sequel coming. Oh yeah, uh, it's Blumhouse. So yeah, I I had a wonderful time, and I think that's the, I think that is what you should expect from it. Yeah, uh, I think because it was released in January, and because it is so competent and fun and well executed i think it's maybe leading people to overpraise it but i i uh as a as a proud uh queer viewer uh you know one more for our team (laughs) that's 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 enough for me it's a bob duke situation yeah so i know i said we were going to talk about um uh the film I watched on Le Cinema Club, but uh, we're going to push that to next week. So okay. I, I want to talk about, instead, with the time we have remaining, uh, Matilda, the musical, yes. currently uh, currently streaming on Netflix. Did it hit theaters at all? It had a, a brief... Like a week or two? A week or two, yeah. Okay. And it premiered at the London Film Festival this year. I see. Uh, it is a musical adaptation of Roald Dahl's novel, Matilda, which uh, if it was you, on if, the West End and Broadway. Yeah, it was also a, a stage musical before it was a film musical. Um, and so this is in, in the tradition of taking a Roald Dahl story and adding songs to it, like yes. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, it is about a little girl named Matilda, played by Alicia Ware. She's kind of a newcomer. She's done a couple things before this, not not you know high-profile stuff like this. Um she plays Matilda. It also stars uh, Lashana Lynch and Stephen Graham from The Irishman, Andrea Risborough from a bunch uh, of things. The Leslie uh, uh, Possessor. Emma Thompson uh, and Sindhu V and a gigantic ensemble cast of children. <laughs> like, we'll get to that <laughs> in a minute <laughs> because it's, it's stunning what happens uh, with these kids and the musical sequences. Uh, she is unwanted and unloved by her parents. They ignore her as best they can. Uh, they insult her. They treat her with cruelty. Um, and eventually they send her to a school where everything is even worse. Yes. Uh, it is run by a grotesque character uh, named... Uh, Agatha Trunchbull, played by Emma Thompson, with some frightening prosthetic work yeah. going on here. Not since Nanny McPhee have you seen Emma oh, Thompson. Oh, yeah, exactly. And um, But Nanny McPhee was adorable. Yeah. Uh, with her, all of her, like, makeup effects. But this, is, this, is, this character is 
hideous and terrifying. Yeah. Uh, and 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 for good reason. This this is an a, a monstrous, abusive uh, person. Yes. And she runs the school like a like a prison. So every day at the school is an actual nightmare for these kids. They don't learn anything. They just learn to be afraid of authority. Of authority. There is one good teacher, uh, uh, Miss Honey, yes. played by Lashana Lynch, who is maybe the MVP of this whole movie, mm. uh, just as she was in The Woman King. Yeah. Uh, I had seen her before in other stuff like No Time to Die, um, uh, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. You know, I had seen her before, but this year is where I learned her name. Right. And, and watched her in films and said, you, who are you? What are you doing? <laughs> I, you are making this movie for me. Yeah. Uh, now, this has happened twice. So... Suddenly, I'm a big Lashana Lynch fan. All right. Then. Um, the good thing about Matilda the kid, the character, is that she knows that she is in terrible situations. She is seemingly unfazed by them and defiant and conniving and mischievous and always working on something that will subvert the authority, the authority uh, going on around her, the the badness going on around her. So that's the film, as she learns to assert herself even more, as she learns to corral the other kids into rebelling along with her, as she, for the first time in her very young life, understands what it's like to be cared for, by another uh, person that is the teacher, Miss Honey, who we learn stuff about herself as the film goes on. I won't give that away. Also, uh, although Matilda, it's pretty easy to see where it's going. Yeah. You, it's pretty easy to see what's coming. Uh, Matilda, like Carrie, also has telekinetic powers that she comes to understand. Yeah. Uh, does not uh, uh, use them to kill her classmates. Instead, uses them in a show of strength and solidarity yes. with the other kids. And then there are these musical numbers <laughs> that, first of all, are flabbergasting to watch most of the time. I don't know if they managed to take these dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of children and and rehearse them until I'm sure they were, you know, bleary-eyed like <laughs> to make these impeccable acrobatic Busby Berkeley style choreographed numbers uh, eye popping yeah. really your jaw is on the floor watching these kids leap and dance and fly through the air like somersaulting off walls and stuff and I'm like how much of this if any <laughs> is a computer generated effect I can't tell what is and what isn't so I'm, I'm choosing to believe that there was a lot of dance rehearsal time sure. for these kids. Well, I mean, look, Spirited had, uh, you know... Yeah, those were adults. Those were adults. 
these are nine year olds. <laughs> and they're and they're coming at you in the most aggressive way <laughs> possible. You're like, aha, child army of dancers <laughs> gonna trample me. Maybe they're all Megans. Uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> so so there's that. There's this stunning, you know, musical sequence. One after the other going on. It won me over in a way that I didn't expect. Well, in a couple ways I didn't expect. But one of the ways I didn't expect was, was this. I am not a fan of the sound of children singing. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. Little kid voices, I don't care how good they can sing. I don't care how well they sing. After a while, it's that high pitch that I, I yeah. <laughs> enough kid, enough with the singing. But what I think is really wonderful about this is that it doesn't let up. <laughs> it's not just Alicia Weir singing in her high little girl voice, mm-hmm. but it's all the other kids doing it too. And so you have this chorus of them coming at you over and over and over again. It stops being annoying and starts being overwhelming and pulls you into a very specific child-centric point of view. There aren't very many adults in this movie. True. It is a kid's eye view of the world. And I think this is why kid viewers are responding to this movie so enthusiastically. Mm-hmm. I've shown you the TikTok yes. of the little kid in the backseat of the car who has already memorized the songs. And his parents are like, <laughs> we're being driven insane. <laughs> it's a great TikTok. You go find it. You'll see it. Um, somebody put it on on Instagram. That's how I learn about TikTok Yeah, I videos. see TikToks they show on, up on, on Instagram. Facebook or yeah. Twitter. Um, I think that's why kids are responding so enthusiastically to it because it takes the perspective of children seriously. It takes the perspective uh, perspective of children who are seeing the, the 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 cruelty and injustice that can often be visited upon them by adults in the world, and gives them a rallying point. Well, yeah, and I yeah. think that's the thing. It's not like oh, it's, it's so cute. Like these songs are about kids being angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I think that leavens the vocal quality, or at least yeah. expect, you know, these are protest cries. They, yeah, know. this is this is exactly what this is. Um, and then there's the part where I burst into tears. Yes. And I will tell you that I was also not expecting that to happen. Um, I enjoyed the 90s. Uh, version of I, Matilda. I, you know, I didn't, but I don't remember why now because it's been so long yeah, since I've I enjoyed seen it. it uh, but I don't remember feeling moved by it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this story is very old at this point. So um, me telling you something about what happens, it's not really giving anything away. Yeah. You know there's a happy ending because it's a kid movie and it's a musical. Um, There's a scene near the end where we realize that Miss Honey is going to adopt Matilda. Right. Okay. Matilda is thrilled by this. And then her parents 
react to this news by saying, oh, okay, good, goodbye. (laughs) And they drive off. And Matilda stands in the road and watches them drive off. And the camera holds on her face for about three beats longer than you would expect. And in a crappy kid movie, she would be, yay, I'm free from the bad people. But she's not reacting that way. She is on this... her parents will fight for her or something. On this kid's face, there is so much reaction and so much conflict about, I'm finally safe with someone who loves me. Why didn't they love me? What did I do wrong? Every kid who deals with a neglectful or abusive or cruel parent asks themselves that question. If you come from that kind of background as a child and you are a grown adult, you may find yourself reacting in ways that you were not expecting. And that is what I will tell you about Matilda. Uh, I really like this. When I say kid movie, obviously kids are being marketed to yeah. with with a, with a whole genre, uh, a whole a whole genre of, of of film, marketed to children, aimed at children. This film is also aimed at children, but it is also a film about childhood, and that is, I think, what makes it better than films that are just aimed at kids and trying to pander to kids. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the Roald Dahl thing of acknowledging how nightmarish childhood can be, but also, you know, offering a a a you know a happy ending that that feels you know earned, yeah, that that feels possible. So it's not like you're doomed, but it is like it can be crappy to be young and powerless and you know poor and whatever you know that his 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 protagonists have to deal with um you know and, and and he doesn't shy away from the darker aspects of that but at the same time he does you know provide he does allow that there are good adults and there are caring people who can you know make a difference yeah uh let me see if I did you uh I didn't yeah. send you letters because we've we got packed. so long. So. Uh, we, this episode is is so many movies packed yes. into this. I know Doctor Steve sent us a Fableman's letter. We can talk about that next. Time. And we will we will dig into letters in the next episode, uh, and we will have a, probably at least another six or seven movies yeah. to talk about. I, I, that we are I, catching I, up on. I, we plane. We have to talk about plane. Oh, we're going to talk about plane and house party. So yeah. I'm going to see plane real soon. Okay, listen. My garbage movie boyfriend <laughs> will not be denied. Jerry B and I, we got a thing going on. You're gonna you are there for him. I, I am. I, I know. I I'm aware. <laughs> that man gave us Geostorm. <laughs> and for that He is Bad Dad Soccer Dad. We must love him <laughs> for all time. That man was in a movie where he's a ghost <laughs> trying to get his 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 widowed uh, wife to love someone new. I forget. Oh. I forget the name of that movie, but it was dumb, and I loved it. <laughs> oh, P.S. I love you. Yeah, that's what oh, it's called. God, I forget. I always forget that's him. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Again, he is my garbage, garbage movie, movie boyfriend. boyfriend. Yeah. Indeed. 
All right. Well, hey, that's us for this week. Um, again, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash linoleumknife. And uh, even if you aren't currently a subscriber... Go there and you can listen to things. Get a taste of you the other shows it. we do. First one's always free. Yeah. Um, Maybe the second one, too. Yeah. Uh, please listen to the other podcasts that I do, including Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire, which you can also catch on YouTube, uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network, and Deck the Hallmark, where I've been popping in... I'll be popping in on Mondays for the time being to talk about uh, 2022 Christmas movies that did not air on Hallmark or Lifetime. There were a lot of them. And so we'll, we have our work cut out for us. This week, we're talking about one that aired on, I kid you not, QVC+. Plus. Yeah. Um, now, on the QVC movie, uh-huh. were there little... Uh, you know, buy it now kind of... Uh, shockingly, no. Things. Not a single toll-free I think number. They, I think okay. they should have done that. They did include a cameo from a popular uh, QVC host. Much in the same Great. way... Great, I would not recognize that in, in, Neither did I. In the same yeah. way the Discovery Plus movies gave us that one with Ben and Aaron Napier, because why not? <laughs> I'm sure we'll be talking about that one, too, later <laughs> on. Anyway, um, subscribe to the show for free at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. We will read it on the air. We have several we have few to read, yeah, and we'll get to those we'll next, get week. next time. Also, because we're running long, um, you can uh, follow us at uh, uh, Linoleum Cast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Uh, check him out at blueble.bandcamp.com. And drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, wishing you all a wonderful 2023. We'll be back soon with more. And until then, goodbye. <laughs>